The creator of a machine knows how it works. The inventor knows how the machine is supposed to function. Take, for instance, a car. What is your favorite car? Wow, no, no one's calling out any names. I, I thought for sure someone would just be, oh, yeah, you know. Ford, yeah, I've got that down here. Some like Fords, others like Toyotas, or maybe a BMW, or maybe, I don't know if I didn't call out your, yeah, yeah, there's many, many cars. But let's take, for instance, a Mercedes-Benz tonight. Let's just take that as an example, a Mercedes-Benz. If you ask most people who invented the car, they would perhaps say Henry Ford, right? But the modern car was invented by Carl Benz. Carl Benz. And uh, this was it. This was the very first car. And uh, it was uh, predated all the, uh, the Ford uh, vehicles. And actually, Henry Ford is credited with the mass production. He was the one that put the mass production, the assembly line together and did all that. So anyway, so we have the first car, the first Benz there. And the guy's name who founded at least part of the company, it was a merger of companies. The guy who invented this car was a guy named Carl Benz. Carl Benz. It's pretty cool that the modern car was, in, was invented by a guy named Charles. Amen? <laughs> yeah, Carl is the uh, German version of the French Charles. So, yeah, go, that's, that's one for the Charleses. We were talking about that the other day. Have, have Charleses done anything great in the world? Yes, they have. Mercedes-Benz was formed with the merger of Carl Benz and Gottlieb Daimler's two companies. Now, here's a picture of a, a modern Benz. We went from the first one to a current model. And the Mercedes-Benz knows the company. They know what, how this car works. They know what's gone into it. They know what it needs to function. They know what its cars need to function at their highest level. And I got one more pick there. Just this is for my boys. Yeah, there you go. That'll keep their attention for the rest of the service. That is the Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon. Anyways, all right. Uh, a, Mercedes, a car manufacturer, a car inventor knows what its cars need. They know how those things work. They know what they need to function at their highest level. Now, when you look at the week of creation in Genesis chapter 1, the purpose becomes quite clear. Through these six days, God changes the earth into a habitable place for the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. If you look at the week of creation, it kind of is something that is just beginning to build and crescendo at the week, at the end of the week in day six, where mankind is made and man is placed upon the earth into the garden. And so if you look at the six days as a whole, there seems to be quite clear that God is bringing the earth to a place where it will be able to be habitable by human beings. In that sense, you could call the earth 
a habitat for humanity. Yeah, yeah, I, I stole that. There seems to be a, a, a good uh, uh, nonprofit organization under that name that uh, builds houses for the needy. But the earth, in that sense, it is being fashioned to become a habitat for humanity. Because he is the creator, God knows exactly what human beings need to live. And this order of creation shows us what we need to live. We need light. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now tonight we're going to be looking at day two. Day two of the creation week or Monday, right? You know, it's going to climax on Saturday when mankind is made. But here we are today on day two. After light, what do you need to survive? What does a human being need to live? Well, the most, probably the most important thing we need is air, air to breathe. I mean, if, if the oxygen got sucked out of this room, uh, we'd all be uh, fading away very quickly. So we need air. And then I think the second biggest need that we have is water. Uh, we need air and then we need water. Air and water are essential. And God makes these things and makes them possible on day two of creation. Okay, so let's read this Genesis chapter one, beginning at verse six. Let's pick it up. And this is day two. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Remember from our study last week, the earth was covered with water. Remember that? When you look in the first part of creation, uh, the, the, the Bible begins, in the beginning was... Uh, I was going to quote John 1.1 there, but Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, and now the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the, and the waters covered. And so we found the earth on day one, at the beginning of day one, with this blanket of water covering the earth. And remember how we talked about that that wasn't just water in a liquid form, but that that was most likely water in every form covering the earth, ice, uh, liquid water, uh, water in gaseous form, fog, gases, all kinds of stuff. And there was, so there's this thick blanket, if you will, and we're told that it was a, like a blanket, that it, the, the earth was covered in this water. We're told that in Job and other places, that the earth was covered with this blanket of water. And you know what? We don't know how thick that was. But let me just tell you, it wasn't like just a little thin blanket on the, on the top of your bed right now. It was probably, I would, I would guess, if I had to guess, I'd say it was probably several hundred miles thick. I mean, when you got into all of it, because remember, there was total and complete darkness on the face of the deep. There was no light. So that when God said, let there be light, what we see there on day one is light literally piercing the darkness of that blanket that was covering the earth and shrouding it in absolute darkness. And so on the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was light, light penetrated through the darkness of this thick blanket of water. 
Now, if God's ultimate goal and the pinnacle of creation was to have human beings on the earth, then they would need an atmosphere and ultimately oxygen to be able to breathe, to, to be able to live. And so there would need to be an, an atmosphere that would be able to, uh, for people to be able to breathe air so that they could live and survive on the earth. And so there needed to have something done, something dealt with, with this thick blanket of, of thick water and, and gas and everything, fog that was cut, literally covering, blanketing the earth. And so what we see here on day two, what we see is God making an atmosphere on the earth and a place where there will be oxygen for breathing. Amen? This is what was happening on day two. We also see God bringing about the necessary components for the earth's water cycle. So we see two important things coming together, two essentials for life being brought about and coming together in this creation week. We see an atmosphere being created and therefore oxygen, oxygenating the atmosphere so that human beings should breathe. And then this atmosphere being developed so that you could have a water cycle and that there could be fresh water, a fresh water cycle on the earth so that human beings could have water. And of course, not just the human beings, but the animals and the plants and the trees and everything that will be upon the face of the earth. Amen? Amen. So how did God do all this? How did he create this atmosphere? How did he bring this about? How did he bring this atmosphere about that was able to bring about this, this water cycle and all of this? How did this happen? Day two begins like this. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Okay, wow. <laughs> what, what, what does that say? What does it mean? Well, if you've got a theory, just pile it on the top of the thousands and thousands of other theories of, of, of what people have suggested this particular, ver these few verses here to, to mean. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. All right, let's break it down a little bit. God establishes this thing called the firmament. He says, let there be a firmament. And it divides, what does it do? The firmament is then going to divide the waters. It's going to kind of cut into the midst of this, this waters that's covering, and I believe it's probably several hundred miles above the, of, above the face of the earth. And so there's this firmament that is now going to divide the waters. And so you're going to have waters that are going to be kind of pushing down. And we're going to see that in day three, where the water uh, would just be pushed down. And then there would be waters above this firmament. And you can look at that. There's other places throughout scripture where you can look at that. And um, we can look at that later. So God establishes this thing called the firmament, and it divides the water from the waters. Uh, and there are different theories to what God did here in making the firmament. There's, you know, it's kind of like, what is the firmament? Well, tonight what I want to do is I want to take you, I want to, I want to take you through this word for firmament. And I want to take you really kind of inside the mind of a, uh, uh, an Israeli living at the particular time that Genesis was written, okay? So I wanna 
transport us out of 2016, certainly out of the 20th, 21st century, 20th century, and we're going to go back in time, about 3,500 years to the time and dating of the writing of the book of Genesis, get inside the mind of the understanding of an, an Israeli, a Hebrew of that time. So God said, let there be a firmament. The word for firmament is the Hebrew word rakia. Uh, you'll see it up on the, on the screen there. That's the word in the Hebrew. If you look it up in the Hebrew Bible, that's, that's the word there. Let there be a rakia. Let there be a firmament. The rakia was actually believed to be um, by the, the Hebrews of the time as well as the ancient cultures of that time. The rakia was believed to be a solid expanse over the earth. Um, it is partially, the word rocky is partially from the root word raka, which means to beat out, to beat out. Now, where, where did we get the word firmament? We have rakia taken from raka, which means to beat out or hammer out. You can look it all up in the Hebrew dictionaries. Check my, uh, all, all, all my study, okay? Well, we, what we have is the word firmament, and the word firmament is the English that comes from the Latin Vulgate translation, firmamentum, firmamentum. And firmamentum is actually what it, it's actually what it sounds like, firm. And so the, the ancients, the ancient Hebrews and all the surrounding cultures and all the cultures of the world believed that you had a firmament, that you had a rakia, that you had this expanse that was this solid expanse over the earth. And, uh, there is quite a bit of information in the Bible. Let me, let me say this before we go any further. There's a lot of information in the Bible that concords with modern science. And you kind of say, okay, this is what the Bible says, and this is what modern science says, and that seems to be saying the same thing. Okay, good, good, joy, joy. Everything's okay, right? But let me submit to you tonight that there's some stuff in the Bible that does not concord with modern science. And so... Um, we're going to take a look at, at a little bit of that tonight. Um, the ancient world, including the Hebrews, Moses, and all of them, understand, understood the earth to be a flat plain, a flat earth supported by pillars with a solid expanse above it. And then above that solid expanse of the firmament was heaven where God was, and there was waters above that Firmament. So you had the flat plane of the earth, you had the expanse, the firmament, which was believed to be a solid expanse, and then waters above it, and then heaven being above that expanse. So if you were going to go back in time to the wilderness right now, and you were going to have a, where's Moses? Where's Moses? I want to, I want to talk to Moses. Where is he? We'll go over there. The tabernacle's that way. Okay, well, let's go find him. Let's go find him. Okay. Tell him, come, come, tell him to come on out here. Charles is here. He wants to talk to, he wants to, talk to Moses. Okay, Moses, what, what's, what's up? What's up with the world? What's up with the earth? Well, the earth is, is a flat plain supported by pillars with a solid expanse above it. That's exactly what he would have told you. It's exactly what he would have said. And that solid expanse or the firmament was above that was heaven where God was. So now there are many scriptures that detail this. If you go through, if you took the time to begin to go through the Bible, you could chase down all the, the chapters and verses, and there are many, 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 many that 
that talk about this. There are many scriptures, and way too many to read tonight. Amen? Way too many to read tonight. And wait, but let me submit to you this, way too many to discount or ignore. One of them I want to show you, just to show you the idea of the ancient Israelite, of the view that they had, is uh, Amos verse 9, 6. And you'll see it on the screen in the NASB. It says this, The one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. And so you had this uh, idea here of the vaulted dome over the earth. Then in Job, which actually, um, in terms of writing, predates uh, not the subject matter, but in terms of the actual authorship of the book, it predates the writing of Genesis. In Job chapter 37, verse 18, it says this, With him, with God, have you spread out the skies strong as cast metal mirror. So these are just a couple of verses of literally a myriad of verses that if you were to track them down, you would find them. There are many, many more verses that speak of this hard, solid firmament, this dome above the earth. Now the Hebrews and all the ancients had a certain cosmology and that cosmology influences all of scripture. And I think that it's important to actually at least have the cosmology of the ancient Hebrew in your mind because it does come to play in other theological descriptions. And I'm going to show you at least one of them before we move on tonight, okay? But I wanted to show you there's a Logos Bible software. Anybody familiar with Logos Bible software? Yes. Any, just one person? Anybody else? No? Two? Okay. Logo, three. <laughs> Um, Logos Bible Software is, is the premier Bible software that's out there. In fact, uh, most pastors, if you walked up to them and said, do you have Logos? They'd probably say, yes, I do. Um, and, and because it's just, it's a fantastic piece of software and the libraries and things that you can have literally on, I've got, I've got bookshelves, I've got a whole library of Bible study materials right in here. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. If Moses only knew um, what we have. Amen. Um, and it's incredible. And it's just right there at the tip of your, of your tip of your fingers. Now, Logos Bible Software actually has a kind of a graphic, a diagram that they have that to help you kind of understand what the Bible, the, the, the mentality, the, the ancient Hebrew conception of the universe. And I'll... I, have the picture here, it's a little squashed. But this is the, the ancient Hebrew conception of the universe. You had the earth that was set on pillars, and then you had the firmament that created under the firmament, you had the sky, and then above the firmament, you have the waters above the firmament, and then heaven, and, and so on and so forth. So it, later in the Bible, when we get to Genesis, and it talks about the windows and the, the gates, the floodgates of the heavens opening, this, is, this was to believed to be what was being talked about. Now, um, and then, of course, you had the, the great deep, you had, the Sheol, you had Sheol and the great deep, which is under the earth. So you had earth, you had above the earth, where God dwells, and then you had under the earth. So it was like really like a three-tiered cosmology. Heaven, earth, and under the earth. And you're going to see that it's going to come into play as you go throughout Scripture, and it's important to kind of take a look at it. One of the scriptures um, that kind of deals with this in terms of God's throne, heaven, where God is, it says, um, Isaiah 66, verse 1, 
I'll have it up on the screen. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? And there was kind of a there was kind of an idea there that the earth was actually kind of a tabernacle in its in and of itself. That there that this expanse of the sky, this firmament, was kind of like a tent um, in the, in the minds of the Hebrews, and the whole earth was like a tabernacle of worship to God. And so this was important. Now there are many other verses that talk about this that kind of lean towards this idea of a flat plain earth, the underworld, and heaven above. Um, One of them is Psalm 104, verse 5, and there are tons of these verses. You laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. So this was kind of the idea. You see this three-tier cosmology, this immovable earth, the heavens above, and the underworld, or Sheol, the great deep underneath. Now, where does this come into play in the Bible? Well, let me show you something in um, Philippians chapter 2, where this comes into play in terms of Paul's understanding about the ultimate dominion of Christ. As Christ came into the world, he came into the earth, and he won the battle. He worked that redemption work, that atoning work on the cross, and he's drawing people into this this family of God, this kingdom of God, and he's bringing all things under his authority, amen, all things under his dominion. And this is the way that Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. You'll see it on the screen. You guys are familiar with this verse. You know this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and here it is, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth. So you see, this is, this is, Paul is actually in a theological statement that he's making about the dominion of Christ. He's actually giving us and alluding to this three-tiered cosmology that was in the hearts and minds of the ancient Hebrew. So in heaven, those on the earth and under the earth, and that, at, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So... This is all very interesting stuff, and I think it's, I think it's, it's kind of, it might be like a shocker to you to, 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 to kind of go back to this, but please understand that for 4,500 years of human history, that this was pretty much the view that people had, and, and this, this is, it, it kind of, you know, actually it needs to be understood. So, Here we are on day two, and we have God establishing the firmament of the heavens. So back to the firmament, the firmament, the rakia. What is it? Well, whatever it is, whatever it is, at the very least, it's an expanse that makes possible a surface atmosphere upon the earth. And because of this functioning atmosphere, you now also You have air, you have oxygen, and you also have a water cycle that can function to bring water to plant and animal life that will be upon the earth. And there will also be usable water for human beings who will need water in order to survive. And so all these things that will be coming along will need oxygen, air, and water, or air and water. And of course, if I know my... Biology and my 
botany, right? Is that the study? Of, that's the study of plants. We breathe in oxygen, and then we breathe out carbon dioxide, and we kind of work kind of like, you know, with the plants and the trees. They like the carbon dioxide, and we, we, so we spew that out uh, with, our, with our exhale, and we take in the oxygen. So it's kind of a nice plan that God has established here. But we have this oxygen and we, this air, and we have this water cycle. Now, as human beings, human beings will need air and water physically to survive. The air that is breathed and becomes breath, breath in the mouths and in the lungs of every animal and every, uh, you know, every animal that has lungs and that type of respiratory system, amen? And then, of course, mankind, breath in the, in the mouth and in the lungs. And then water, the water from this water cycle that is, that is drunk becomes, well, both of these, the air and the water. They're physical things that human beings need to survive, but in the Bible, they also both become pictures of things that we need spiritually to survive. Where are, you, where are you going with that? All right, stay with me. Air and water are essential for life, but what air and water picture are in the Bible become essential for spiritual life. They become essential for spiritual life. The word for spirit in the New Testament Greek is the word pneuma. And it's actually where we get our our word for you know things that to deal with the respiratory system and the air that is breathed and that is because the pneuma the spirit is connected to this idea of air of wind of breath and unless in in terms of a spiritual situation unless a person has received the pneuma the the, the hagios pneuma the holy spirit unless you've received the pneuma of god the spirit of god in them and been born of the Spirit, that they are, you are not spiritually alive. And so what was created on day two, or made possible on day two by allowing this firmament to be in the expanse and to create this atmosphere and to create oxygen, this possibility of a, of a breathable atmosphere, we see spiritually that air, that wind, becomes a picture for us of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Spirit of God is needed for spiritual life. Unless you've received the breath of heaven, spoken of as the breath of heaven, you will not live spiritually with God. Look at it in verse uh, John chapter 20, verse 22. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's resurrected, and he meets with the disciples, and it says, and he breathed on them and said to them, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He breathed on them. <laughs> he breathed on them. And so that which was made possible on day two for us to live physically becomes a picture of what we need to live spiritually because we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit. We need to have the Spirit, the breath of heaven, if you will, breathed on us. Amen? Amen. So there is this idea of the breath of God. The breath of God is the Spirit. And that is why the Word of God is said to be a work of the Spirit. 
It's like the breath of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, you're very familiar with this passage. All scripture is what? God breathed. God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so there's this idea of the breath of God, the breath of God of the Holy Spirit and the breath of God of his word that the, 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 the word actually becomes is literally a work of the spirit. It, in fact, Jesus actually says the words I speak to you are what? Life and spirit. Amen. And then we have this interesting thing that happens in Acts chapter two, right? Acts chapter two, verse two, you'll see it up on the screen. There they were in the upper room, the 120 after the ascension and they were waiting upon the Lord. They were praying. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, mighty, a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so, of course, this is the passage that deals with the, the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. They had received the Spirit. Now they're being literally filled with the Spirit. Um, just in that sense, saturated with the Spirit. And it's just an incredible thing. And how is it being depicted? It's being first depicted by this mighty rushing wind, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. So it's kind of interesting. You have God in day two separating the waters from the waters, having this expanse that separates those waters and makes possible for an atmosphere, a breathable air, a breathable atmosphere, and a water cycle that is now possible. And just as, as we're human beings, we physically need both of those things to live. Um, in fact, I don't think you can, I think if all you had was air and water, um, you, you could make it, uh, you know, I, I think people, it, depends, well, it depends on, how much extra weight you have, you know, but I don't know. Maybe I could make it a little bit longer than some others. Um, but, you, but, but, but even none of us in this room would make it very long with only air and water. And, uh, and so, but, but, but if we didn't have air and water, we wouldn't make it even that long. And so these are two of the necessities. And I just find it interesting that just as we need those two things physically, that those two things become pictures for us of what we need spiritually. And so we need the breath of God. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then where does the water come in? Well, you'll remember the conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She, he met uh, this woman at the well in Sychar and Samaria. And remember, you know, they're having this conversation and it's going along and and at one point he says, look, if you knew who it was, that, you know, remember he asked her for, a, can you get me some water? And, and, and then he says, look, if you, if you actually knew who it was asking you for a water, you would ask me for a water and I would give you some water that if you drank this water, you'd never, ever, ever thirst again. And then he said this in verse 13. You'll see it up on the screen. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, pointing to the water of that well, in Sychar, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow. So, I think this kind of brings it nicely together. Just as we need air and water to live physically, and these things were made possible by God bringing that expanse and dividing the waters from the waters on day two, these things are also those things that we need spiritually to live and, and to have our being in God. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is pictured for us by breath, by wind, and by water. The living water. Jesus says, out of your inmost being will flow a river of living water. That's what we need. That's what we need to have spiritually. We need the Holy Spirit to live spiritually. Amen? I mean, it's kind of a simple thing, but it needs to be said. We need the Spirit of God in our lives, moment by moment, day by day, every second. We need God's Spirit in our lives to live spiritually. We need his life for our spiritual life. We need, we need the light of the Spirit. We need the, the guidance of the Spirit. Jesus said that the Spirit would guide us into truth. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need his gifts. We need the Holy Spirit of God to live and to live in us. Amen? This air and water of the Spirit is essential. It's essential for spiritual life. And God made this possible. It's by and through his spirit, the spirit of God, that we have spiritual life to begin with. And I'll close with this. John chapter 3, verse 5. You'll remember the setting. Jesus was meeting with the man Nicodemus at night. And this is where this is the famous passage where Jesus tells him, you must be born again. I find it Interesting sometimes when I tell people, you know, we talk about born again and they don't even realize it was Jesus who said, you must be born again, as if somebody in the second or third century pulled that out of a hat or something. <laughs> it's like, no, read your Bible. Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus told him, verse five, Jesus answered, very, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the spirit the kingdom of God, unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Unless they're born physically unless, and, and they're also born spiritually. Amen? And so God has provided for that which we need physically. Amen? But he's also provided for that what we need spiritually. The Holy Spirit. So right here in Genesis chapter 1, on day two of creation, God brought about the essentials for physical life, air and water. And these pictures of the Holy Spirit are absolutely essential for spiritual life in Christ. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Continue to seek the Lord in your life daily. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. Think about it. If you just held your breath, if you just right now said, I'm just going to hold my breath for as long as I can and see what happens. I'm reminded of the 
movie uh, Chasing Mavericks. Anybody seen that movie? And um, based on a true story of a young man that was taught to surf the huge major waves off the coast of California that are called Mavericks. And this older gentleman, his name was Frosty, told him, he says, if you can hold your breath, if you can hold your breath for four minutes, I'll teach you to surf Mavericks. And there's a couple scenes in the, in the movie where he's literally in class and he's trying to hold his breath for as long as he can and he's looking at his watch, looking at the clock, and then he just passes out in the middle of the class and just, you know, he just spills over into the, into the middle of the floor and, and one of the girls in the class just yells out, there he goes again, there he goes again. The point is this. You need that air to live for the next few minutes. For the next few minutes. We need the Holy Spirit to live. Amen? And let us realize that dependency that we have on the Spirit. Rely 100% on the Spirit of God in your life and rely 100% on the Word of God that has been breathed by the Holy Spirit and you will have the essentials of spiritual life and you will live what I like to call the life of joy in Jesus Christ. Amen? A life of joy in Jesus Christ because he's provided it for us. All we need to do is to receive him.